Hi, this is David from the Much Love family. This is the second part of the episode with my close friend, Jeremy. I hope it means as much to you as it does to me. Much love. I enjoy this piece of the podcast because it it involves others' input. It, it, it they're questions that have come up in discussions, like I, I said, with family, friends, and they're also ones that that I want to know about. So you know, let, let's talk about just what you did, sharing your story. What well, what does it it mean to you to do this? So again, one of one things it does for me is it keeps it fresh. It reminds me of the life I've lived to get to where I'm at today. And again, my hope is that someone will hear this and identify with at least one piece of the story and say, you know what? Maybe I'm not as bad as I think I was, you know, or, or maybe, you know, find that hope shot. Like I said, whatever it may be that they can too find a, a life worth living without the use of drugs. Um, one of the things I've done regularly is, is, and I've done this ever since my first year in, in, in recovery is the home group I'm a part of has a meeting once a year, once a month at the end of the month to celebrate or, or to, um, they, it's a speaker meeting. And every year since that first year, I've spoken at that meeting and every year, of course, I'm still clean. And so my story gets a little bit longer. So next year, the meeting's probably going to have to go from an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half to accommodate yep, for that. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. And, and I've, I've fortunately been a part of it. And I, I've got, I've got to be there. So, I mean, that, that, it, it means a lot to me to have you share your story because I, you pick out pieces that you connect with, pieces that you're connected to. And, and hearing someone be as successful in this process, and we, we kind of look at success by clean time and by your your commitment to what you're doing, and you're, you're a role model for me. I, I came into the program, uh, I think you were just celebrating uh, 10 years. And it was, you know, we, we have this saying, if if you can do it, anybody can. So uh, seeing you at 10 years, you know, I'm I'm almost at five. So, you know, we, we're, we're celebrating these kinds of things together. Um, so something that we talk about a lot in the rooms is the role of gratitude, you know, um, how it, it shifts our perspective and it really helps us foster, you know, kind of foster resilience in, in our recovery. Um, how, how do you incorporate gratitude in your daily life? That's actually a pretty easy one for me. And, and there's a lot of different lessons I've picked up along the way. And, um, like I said, I was raised Christian, and and so part of the step work process allowed me to redefine what that looks like in a higher power setting. And so I'm still a Christian today, and um, and that's just my beliefs. I don't take this as an endorsement of anything, but so I listen to some Christian radio a lot. Um, I try to listen to that more than I do secular radio. And, and so one of the things I had heard one point was um, in terms of gratitude, and I don't think they termed it in terms of gratitude, but it is gratitude where... They said, what if you woke up today with just the things that you thank God for today? 
So like, if I only thank God for my house today and that's all I woke up for tomorrow, what about everything else? And so that helped put it into perspective for me about, wow, you know, or, um, you know, another good lesson in gratitude we have in the program is called a gratitude list. That's actually one of the first assignments I give anybody I'm working steps with because we have a saying in the rooms that a grateful addict will never use. Well, if if I believe in the black and white text of this program, then I need to believe that and I need to practice that and I need to have others practice that if I'm working with right. you. It's important to me. And so, um, and, I, and I, again, I practice the same thing. Sometimes it's like, I may thank God for A, B, C, D, E. I can't sit here and rattle off everything for that same principle. I said, what if I woke up tomorrow with only the things I thank God for today? I'd be selling myself short. So sometimes it's, I'll think for very specific things. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for the other. And like, thank you for everything else and, and good or bad. And so that that's really how I put it into practice. Did you ever have a, a challenge with your higher power? You know, I, it sounds like coming from a religious background, you, you kind of started with it. Was And I know you mentioned that there were some uh, challenges with the church. Did you ever kind of stumble or, or struggle with your higher power? I don't believe I did. Um, I, I had a pretty good concept, I think, even from early on, because I mean, I, just, I joined a church at like nine years old until I was about 15 or so. So I had a good concept. Um, I don't know if this may help the average listener, but I was a member of a non-denominational church. So I wasn't Catholic. I wasn't Baptist. I wasn't this, that. Ironically enough, my mother was raised Roman Catholic. My father was raised Southern Baptist. And, and if you know anything about Christianity, those are like the two polar opposites of each other, right? <laughs> and so we went to a non-denominational church. And, and so when I got clean, I found a church that was very similar to my home church as a child. And, and we attended there until COVID. And we had a small falling out there as well, but um, it is what it is. Um, I'm not going to get into that really. But um, what I liked about that was just like what we talk about in, in rooms of, of recovery, what is our primary purpose? And, and in, in the terms of the, the Christianity, the primary purpose is to learn the word, study the word, share the word. Mm -hmm. and, and so it was really that simple for me. And so, but then in the recovery aspect, we talk about steps leading us back to a higher power. And so the second step allowed me to redefine what the higher powers characteristics were. And we talk about the only requirement we have for your higher power, which we say is of your choosing, is that it be loving, caring, and greater than myself. That's the only requirements we have in, in the program for a, a higher power. And so that made me feel like, okay, cool. It's not some vengeful God. It's not some God that's out to smite me every time I go wrong or he's going to send me to hell for screwing up. It's he loves me. He's caring and forgiving and greater than me. And, and it's really... We talk about keeping it simple. It's really that simple for me. Yeah, I, I've struggled with a higher power. I, I, I grew up with a, a cultural background, but the spiritual piece that that was never something I, I really bought into. And just recently, you know, I, I've I've started to connect with a higher power. You know, I, I had uh, someone that that's been in the program for a long time tell me to hit my knees every morning and just say the gratitude list. You, you don't need to know what you're saying it to, just, just do it. And, and that practice has brought me to something. I'm still not sure exactly what, but it, it's, it's started the process of connecting me with a higher power. And, and I, I wouldn't have had that without this program. So, I mean, that, that's something that 
that I've developed, you know, in my recovery. I think that's the open-minded piece we talk about. Um, you know, you and I can disagree on on a topic, but we can do it agreeably. And, and again, you may through again the open-mindedness piece is like you may be able to change my mind based on logic and rational facts. Like that's how this works. Like I may be wrong, and that's okay to be wrong. I'd rather learn that I'm wrong than to keep living wrong, right? Right. And, and so, and I'm not saying this in the context of your higher power is right or wrong or mine is, like just in general, it could be, you know, about the, the application of a certain principle, like the way you're doing it is wrong or not appropriate or blah, 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 whatever it could be. And so in, in the terms of a higher power, if you, and even for me, like my first sponsor was a Jew, I'm a Christian. My second sponsor was a Messianic Jew. So a little bit of both, right? right? And now my sponsor now is a Christian. So like I've gotten a good vibe from everybody. And what I like about the rooms of, of recovery is that it says, you know, there's no requirement. This is not a religious program. So like I can learn from the Buddhist. One of my favorite people when I first got clean was a Buddhist. Really? Yeah. I just, just the way he shared, like it's, it's his passion and it's what he does. Mm -hmm. Or there's some other people that, that are Muslim that again, have a really great message when it comes to recovery. And that's what I'm there for. Right. So, and that's where I leave it at. And and for me, I, I don't know. I've had some really God moments where I can remember like, oh, I was maybe 10, 11 years old and we're going to my grandmother's in South Florida and she was living in a retirement community and I was bored. There's no kids there. And um, I remember praying at the time, like, God, give me a friend. And like, I, I swear to God, I, I, I opened my eyes and there was this apparition of Jesus in front of me. Like, really? Yes. There's an apparition of Jesus in front of me. And, I, and I'm like, okay, I feel better. I feel like someone's with me. Wow. And then um, 2008, right before I got clean, <clears throat> we were doing a, I was doing, working with an HVAC company, heating, ventilation, AC, and we were doing some work down in the Apollo Beach area. We're in this big box truck. And um, on the way back on the highway, coming up the, the interstate, I keep hearing this ticking, tick, 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 tick. We get back to the shop and I have on my side view mirror, someone had placed uh, a, like a, a rope necklace or a string necklace and it had three nails in the shape of a cross. And it's like, I, it's these moments that I knew there was a higher power with me, even when I wasn't practicing. And, and so I, I was like, okay, that, again, that was right before, right as things are really going south for me mm -hmm. real, real quick. But I, I don't think without those moments that I would have been able to turn the way I turned when I did. Right. And, and you mentioned, you know, the people that you've walked through a process, you know, having them do a gratitude list. So that brings up the concept and the discussion of sponsorship and sponsees. I, I know, you know, you've just, just mentioned your, your previous sponsors, but tell me about sponsees. You know, I, I'm only five years in the program and I know that my sponsor has said, you know what, maybe it's time. I, it's nowhere near time. I, I'm, I'm not ready for that. I can't make that commitment. But how, how have you gone through that process? It, I'm, it's funny you said that because I can remember, again, my first two years clean, I was making a meeting every day, sometimes two or three. And, and of course, I'd have people sponsor me and I'd have these discussions with my first sponsor. Hey, is it time? What do I do? What do I say? And, and again, this program is designed in such a way that I'm going to follow the direction of the people in my circle. Maybe it's my sponsor. And so my sponsor's directions were, listen, 
if, if you're past your fourth step and you've got over a year clean and someone asks you to sponsor them, I'd ask you to call me first and we can discuss it. But then I would say probably that's okay. Because as long as really? you're because as long as you're continuing to work steps, they're not going to catch you. Okay. Right. Yeah. So they'll be on. For example, they're on one. I'm on four. Right. I I probably wouldn't move them on to three until I'm up to like six. Right. And so on and so forth. So the yeah. the, the thought was that they won't catch me as long as I'm continuing to work. Yeah. And, I mean, and again, me with one year clean is probably more relatable to the guy with you know, one day clean than it is me with 10 years clean and the guy just coming in the room. The guy might say, you know, I could get a year. I don't know if I can get 10 years. That's true. So, so that concept works well for me. Um, of course now it's a little bit different. I don't really have those discussions with my sponsor. Hey, so-and-so asked me to sponsor. Should I, (laughs) what should I do? And so it's, um, I, I have to find a work life career, the family balance. And, And so, um, you know, with, with service work I have, it takes up a particular amount of my day or, or my time that month. Um, I have so much time allotted for my career. I have so much time allotted mm-hmm. for my family. I'll give you an example. My wife and kids, they do cheer practice on Wednesday night. I can come home and just be me and the dogs and the cat and like, nothing wrong with that inherently, right? I've worked a 10 hour day. I want to come home, eat, clean up, relax. Nothing. That's inherently. my day. That's no, my day. <laughs> nothing inherently wrong with that. But right. I learned it three years clean that that could be a danger. Okay. Right. Because even at three years clean, like I've, I was tired. I worked 10 hours. And, and of course, now I'm in the office, but back then I'm, I'm out in the heat. Right. 10 hours. I'm tired. I'm not, I'm physically dirty from, you know, drill bits, drill, bleh, drill bits and all that stuff or whatever. But again, I'd want to come home. I'd want to shower. I'd want to eat. I'd want to, you know, maybe relieve her, spend some time with the baby. Again, nothing inherently wrong with that. But right. I almost lost all that stuff because I wasn't keeping recovery first. So my Wednesday nights, I'm at a meeting. And, and so, long, Part of that is like another segue to this is like I, my second sponsor. I had to quit, so to speak. I don't really like that word, but I quit working with my second sponsor because he wanted me to commit to a certain day at time. And at that time, I couldn't, I couldn't commit to that because I, I'm not going to take a commitment I cannot fulfill. And if I had a job to finish that day, I'm going to finish the job. Mm-hmm. Now my schedule is a little more rigid at work. I'm not having to work more than my 40 or 50 hours, whatever it is, as a manager. And so I can end my day at four o'clock. And so Wednesdays, I end my day at four o'clock. My meeting time is at 5.45. I usually drive to some restaurant in the neighborhood and I've tried to incorporate an eating meeting. And I try to get okay. my sponsees there. Okay. Just have a chat, similar to this, talk recovery and have a meal and fellowship before the meeting. And, and so for me, I've been able to make that commitment now where I was unable to do that before. Right. I'm like, hey, I'm trying to keep you guys accountable, but you guys got to want this. I'm going to be there and available. Whether How many sponsees do you have? I have three. Wow. Um, one is out of state. He's he, he left. He's traveling for work, and then two are local. One I actually work with. Um, so okay. it's kind of cool. I at least see him on a regular basis. Right. And then the other one I see at meetings all the time, and we we speak regularly. And um, again, we, we just have a different type of working relationship, if you will. It's tailored to each. Right. Because, I mean, that that's what's most effective. You, I, I know you were mentioning one of your sponsors that was very rigid and that you had some challenges with. I, I think it's more effective that you do tailor it to the individual, that it's not as rigid because we're humans. We're, you need to be more fluid. Uh, you don't want to ostracize the person by making it just 
rigid to your standards. Um, so I, I, I like that approach a little better. And, and my sponsor is, is more that way. He, he understands my time commitments. He, he understands that I, I communicate more effectively by text. I can't stand that. (laughs) Call me, bro. Like I can't stand the emojis. I can't hear the emotion. Like, tell me what the hell is going on. Yeah. I I get it, dude. I I do. And again, that's why I think the rigid works for some people. And I think the fluid works for some people. And at the time I couldn't be rigid. And so this, my third and current sponsor, we were actually in the same home group. Right. Right. So it just worked. I spilled everything on the meeting floor. Anyways, I said, what was going on with me and what I'm doing to get through it. And I'd get his feedback and he said, you know what, this sounds like something in the, in your defects of character. Why don't you look at that? Mm-hmm. And that's how we work steps. We, cause we talk openly and honestly, so we don't necessarily go through the steps in order anymore. Like, Hey man, this is what you got going on. This this is something that's in your eleventh step. You need to spend more time in prayer and meditation. Okay. Right. Or hey, man, you need to surrender this. You need to look at the, what the first step says about the situation you're going through. How many times have you walked through the? Because I there was someone that I, I had on a previous podcast, David, um, and he he referred to him as the thirty six steps, and <laughs> and I had never heard that, but yeah, they're they're the the steps, the traditions, and the concepts. Sure. How many times have you walked through them? So I've ne- so there's different ways of doing everything. So I, like I said, the first time I, I worked the steps was took me two years to work all twelve steps, and that was same pen and paper, same pen and paper, and um, going over. It, it might not even work all of step one at one time. My sponsor probably said, "Hey, work up to this section and stop. Work to this section and stop." Second time, ironically enough, David was my second sponsor. <laughs> um, he was my second sponsor, and I love him to death, man. Um, he, he's got a lot of clean time and, and a lot to, to learn from. Yeah, I think he's at 48 years. I know, it's nuts, man. Like, <laughs> But um, so he, um, the second time I worked the steps, he and I went to a restaurant and in two hours worked all 12 steps. Because again, having- That seems nuts to me, but I mean, that that's his approach. And again, so, so part of the principles were working them slow and steady. I'm going to be a little more thorough. I'm going to get more out of them. The The second way I work them, it's getting a basic understanding of each step, each principle mm-hmm. right off the bat. Now, the same principle applies in both methods is that we're going to work the steps again. Just because you work all 12, you don't graduate. You're, you're going to work them again, or you're going to move on to traditions. You're going to move on to concepts. Right. So whether I work slow or steady, whether I race through them a hundred times, and so the way David had expressed it to me was that, listen, man, we want you guys to come in here and stop bringing in trash. We're trying to clean house in here. So we know there's a lot of trash to clean out already, mm-hmm. but we want to limit how much trash you're bringing in when you're getting clean. So at least if you understand a basic understanding of these 12 steps, it's going to make you conscious of, look, I don't want to have to go through work through this with my sponsor. So let right. me... You know, so it, it, it again, that's part of the open mindedness piece. And I think I go through some mental masturbation on that sometimes, trying yeah. to, well, which way is best? It's it's what's best for you, the individual. Yep. So, have how many sponsees have you had over the years? Probably about a dozen. And, and most of them haven't stuck around, unfortunately. Oh, whether, really? Whether they go back out or they've changed sponsors or, or whatever it may be. Um, the two of the sponsees I have now, I've had for a couple of years each. So, so they're a little more committed. One guy not doing as much. One guy is pretty committed. And then the third guy, he, he's kind of in and out. But again, I'm there for him. You know? Yeah. So I, I, I sounded kind of shocked. But now as I'm thinking about it, my sponsor, Ron, who we had on a previous episode, um, 
He's got 26, I think, 27 years clean. And he's had numerous sponsees, but I was the first to do all 12 steps. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess it's, it is. It's not uncommon. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought that, you know, once you're, once you're clean, it's because you're doing the steps. But I know that's the way to work the program, but it's not always the way that people stay clean. I've known people that have been clean and never worked steps. And, That's true. And unfortunately, a lot of times you can hear it in the way they share. Yes. Yes. So some some background, we're in the same home group and we're in a lot of the same meetings. So we both know some of the the stories that certain people share and share and share. And we can say, you know, you know what? This person is just quoting the same piece of the book. They, they haven't worked the steps. They, they, they don't really understand it. But you know what? They're clean. And it's it's kept them clean, so you know it is what it is. I, I'm I'm okay with that. So so the way I understand this program to work is, and again, I'm just thinking Narcotics Anonymous, which is the fellowship I'm a part of. The way it works for me is that Narcotics Anonymous is is a fellowship or society of men and women for whom drugs have become a major problem. That right there in the nutshell is the the basic description of this program. I had a major drug problem. It was a right. symptom of my disease, obviously, and so. I, just coming to meetings helps me stay clean. Right. Coming to meetings doesn't always help me grow. That That's the inside job, and that's where the steps come in. I, I think the two are interdependent of each other. And, and again, I believe that because we see people come in, not work steps, clean for decades. But we also see people, and I've seen it with you. I've seen you come in. I could tell you work steps. I could tell by the way you're living. I could tell by the way you carry yourself. I can tell by the level of commitment you have. Most people who are doing steps and traditions and concepts and, and living these principles are the ones that are getting involved in doing service. And, and again, we preface this whole session, this podcast with, with that topic of service. I mean, what you're doing right now is a service. Someone who's working steps or, or someone who's not working steps is not going to take this level of care into what you're doing. And, and, you know, kind of on the topic of service. So you've taken it to another level. You're, you're, you're an inspiration to me because of of how much you've dedicated yourself to this to this process you know being on area boards being on uh, having an impact on something greater than just our home group you know that it it seems daunting to me it seems like a, too too much of a a responsibility to have um you know too too much of a headache that i i don't exactly want to take on, but I, I have to commend you for for doing that because, in all honesty, someone has to. And, and that's actually one of the conversations I had with a fellow addict last night. Is, um, you know, again, I say this as humbly as I can, but I do I do a lot of service. Um, I remember when we moved into the facility we're in now. One of the very first things I did before any furniture, anything was moved in, I swapped out every receptacle outlet in, in there because they were all cruddy and falling mm -hmm. apart. Didn't cost me anything but my time. Right. Yeah, I think you remember about a year ago, all the lights were going out because we had fluorescent lights. Absolutely. How do you think those got fixed? And I know you know other electricians in, that yep. come to our meetings. Right. And no one else. yes. Yes, they are. I don't say this to brag, but unfortunately, those other ones did not step up to the plate. Again, they had an opportunity to serve. They did not, mm -hmm. and at least in that sense. And so I was like, you know what? I actually had the pieces here in this cabinet in my garage that we're sitting in. The parts I needed to fix it are right there. So it, again, it cost me nothing. 
And so I went and took care of it. And I do that because I want to give back to a program that has given me a new way of life I never had. The program in Narcotics Anonymous has given me the life I live today. And so- Wouldn't have it without it. We talk about we can only keep what we have by giving it away. That means I need to be of service. And whatever way I need to serve is how I serve. I know not everybody is capable of serving the way I served. You know, or even going back to talking about um, when we we had to shut down our meeting place for COVID, bills still had to get paid. Yep. I, I don't like using these terms, but meetings are a source of revenue for us. We we look at it being fully self supporting. We don't really use the word revenue in in, in the realms of narcotics and honest. But, but that's do, what it is. But I mean, we talk about being financially prudent, right? And so once we a, need the money, right? So once a month, I took it upon myself, my own fuel, my own time. I would go out after work and I would call those members with big hearts and deep pockets, mm-hmm. and I'd get a hundred bucks at a time, two hundred bucks at a time per individual. It wasn't what we were normally getting, but that kept the doors open figuratively right for when we could reopen the doors no absolutely absolutely and again had i not done that i mean everybody had the same opportunity i had right everybody could could have had that i just had the willingness to do it i had the desire to do that and so that's just how i served that's how i learned early on i mean even like i said from fixing the tarp early in my recovery i was there twice a year every time it needed to happen i was there (laughs) so kind of changing gears slightly so because we have to live in, in a world of non-addicts or, or people that are functioning addicts or basically people that use, how, how have you kind of navigated social situations? How do you deal with, I, I don't know that it's peer pressure. Like I, I know, for example, you know, your, your wife isn't in the program and she can casually drink. My wife, uh, unfortunately, She's, I mean, not unfortunately that she's not in the program, but unfortunately she will sometimes still smoke pot. Uh, she doesn't do it around me, but I know that, you know, when I'm away for, you know, a, a work event or I'm out of town that, that she, she does use. Um, and you know, that I, and I'm being honest, you know, it, it is difficult. You know, I, I do sometimes feel like she's cheating on me in a way, you know, it's that, that sickening feeling in your stomach and you know, it's, it's wrong. I don't want to say it's wrong because it's how I feel. So, you know, there's not a wrong feeling, but I I know that I'm probably blowing it out of proportion. I, I, I know that it's probably not as bad as it feels to me. Um, But so how, how do you deal with it? You hit me right in the feels, David, and, and you and I had this discussion, and I even talked about it in in part of the story. And so, social situations. I, I mean, you're here, you're in my garage. We're sitting at a poker table. I got a, a small little liquor bar, right? Not for me. Let me let me. <laughs> right, full disclosure. Um, but yeah, my wife can have a drink. I mean, I, I've sit here, I've seen her have half a beer, and the sweat drip down like your beer's sweating you're gonna finish that you're it's gonna time you're gonna it's finish time. that no i'm not drinking anymore like, how the hell do you do that have half a beer and you're done right so and, and with the pot thing um a couple situations i want to express was early on my wife had wanted to go out with some friends and she was like they wanted to go smoke i was like you shouldn't have told me like if you don't tell me i don't really care 
Like, right, right. Because her and I smoke pot together when, when I was using. And so she's not an addict. She can smoke a joint and be cool. I can't. No. <laughs> that I, one joint I found at work would have led to the Coke, to the booze, to the Valium, to the whatever else. To I the got obsession, by. to the I can't think about anything else. But getting it, the next one. Absolutely. So, and they don't. They don't. And it, and and that's weird to me. You know, I, because we because we're wired differently than they yeah. are. They can have that half a beer or that shot of tequila and that's it for the night, you know, just to take the edge off. And so I can't. I would if I'd be a liar if I said I would love to go and have a glass of wine with my meal. You know, I was just I thinking can't. that. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> I can't though. It's the whole fucking bottle. Yep. And, <laughs> and, then, and then the next one. And, and the next one. I, I said it earlier, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. Yes, sir. So if I know that, then I should probably just stay away from the first one. Yep. What what do we say? If you get hit by a train, it's not the caboose that gets you. <laughs> the engine's gonna kill you like yep. it's that first one that takes you out man yep so and do, do you come across any peer pressure no and, and because i'm with with my family and my friends so again perfect example we're in my garage i, I host a, a poker night on saturday mm-hmm. nights there's there's drinking here i actually have a friend that comes over he smokes weed he goes out and smokes for me it's not a bother and, and i learned this actually early on so this is one of my triggers when I first got clean, my mom lived out of town. She still does, really, but I would go visit them. I can only visit for like two hours at a time. Okay. Because I'm sitting around a bonfire. I'm bored because I ain't doing shit. Right. Everybody else is smoking, drinking, having a good time because let's face it, they're not addicts. Right. And they are having a good time. I'm bored. I want to join in. For me, though, I'm here. I'm playing poker. I'm shooting pool. I'm shooting darts. I'm occupied. I think that was it for me. I had to find a hobby. I had to find something to, to preoccupy myself. Similar to that, service work keeps me clean. If I'm here doing something, it doesn't bother me. If I'm sitting here bored and we're just chit-chatting and you're drinking, laughing, having a good time, dancing, I want to join in on that. How do I get there? How do I get to the level you're on? Right. And so, but see, also I had to describe to the theory that like, I, I, I let's say I wanted to get drunk right now. Mm-hmm. If I come out to the garage and there's no booze out here, you think I'm going to stop by mission? No. So not having it in the house is not a deterrent for me. No, we could find it. Right. We I'm going right it. across the street. There's a liquor store right there. Yep. And, and and again, full, full, um, being very transparent and open here. I bought booze for my wife before. I'm out running around. She's already home. She's cleaning up, preparing for poker night, whatever it may be. Hey, can you get me a, a case of beer? We're out. And, and you know, my friends are coming over. See, yes. I, that, that would be... I, because so alcohol isn't wasn't my drug of choice you know pot was definitely one of them right i i don't think i could i i could do that with my wife the closest we got is so we were just in new york and recreational is legal there and it, it it's everywhere it it was it was crazy you know people i saw someone smoking a joint in front of a cop talking to the cop with a joint in their mouth <laughs> that's crazy to me and that that's that just blows my mind. Yes, but so it was the Sunday before we were going to leave. I was eating a bagel in the room and you know just packing, and my wife stepped out and she went to one of the dispensaries and picked up a, a vape pen, and you know that that's the closest I've gotten to to being a part of of someone else's using. See, well. 
you know where we meet, where our meeting place is. Right. What happens right behind us? I mean, you've been out back smoking yeah. a vape and, and you that, smelt it. And, and, and it's been hard. It's absolutely been hard. And, and, and it was for me in the early on as well. And, and again, I had to come to the acceptance that just because you're smoking, I'm not smoking. Just because you're drinking, I'm not drinking. And that's for me. Now, I've also, because I've been around for a while and I've, I've, I've tried to align my will with my higher power's will. Mm-hmm. If she asked me to go get that booze that day and I'm feeling some kind of way, you won't do I'm it. like, you know what, babe? I, I don't think today's the day. I'm not feeling well. You know, that there's something like, just something's not sitting right with me on this request this time. I can't do it. Right. Or, or same thing. I'm sitting around my mom's and I'm like, listen, I, I just can't take it anymore. I'm, I'm feeling the bugaboos. I, I've got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I'd come in, I'd, I'd say my goodbyes. You know, I, I did my, I, I made my appearance. I was right. here for the, the event. I, I've got to go. I'm uncomfortable. And so recovery has given me that discernment. So again, full, full transparency is like, yes, I've I bought booze for my wife. I don't do it often. You know, I do it here and there again, if it's convenient. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, if it's, if it's going to trigger me or, or make me feel some kind of way, I'm going to have to pump the brakes. Cause listen, man, you're just gonna have to make another trip this time, babe. I can't do it this time because that's me safeguarding my recovery. My recovery must come first before the marriage, before the family, before the career, before anything. If, if I don't put my recovery first, then I'm, I'm losing all that shit. Do you have any feelings about her asking you? I mean, I know you'll do it because, and again, I'm not at that point, but uh, we we love our wives most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> that part. But, but you know, do, do you have any, not resentment might be too strong, but do you feel any, any way about her asking? No, it's, I feel like it's any other request. Okay. Pick up dinner, I, I, pick I probably, up booze. I probably felt worse about the request about putting in an above ground pool in the backyard. I did not want to do that damn work. That probably <laughs> pisses me off more than going to get some okay. booze. <laughs> okay. The honeydew list. No, no, it's just normal run of the mill everyday stuff, man. I mean, this is how normal people act. I, I'm just, I'm, you know, what do we say? Once you become a pickle, you can't become a cucumber. Yep. I'm still a pickle living in a cucumber world. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I kind of understand for people with alcohol, you know, that there is a store on every corner. And now- Same with weed now. Now- I, I never thought that would be possible. Driving from North Tampa to South Tampa, I counted 13 dispensaries. Yes. I, I never thought I'd see that in my life. It, I want it, some of this and some of that. And some of, it what? blows blows me yes. away. Yes, I, I I don't understand. So let me interject real quick too, because the other thing I talked about, and I talked about this in my when when I gave the the last bit of my story was with the weed thing. Like, you know, my kid coming home high on pot. Mm-hmm. That was that was tough. And, and again, you know the way our meeting place is set up, and you know where I usually sit. I usually sit on the perimeter, right? And for it's a couple things. One, I want to see my exits. Because it's just how I was trained. A lot of it's the martial arts thing. It's also a, a respect thing. I don't like having my back to people. It's a disrespect. That's the way I was taught. So I always sit perimeter of the room for that reason. Well, this particular night, I went to an 8.30 p.m. meeting on Friday night. And I sat right in the middle of the room. Then like five minutes before the meeting, I got the phone call. And we talked about getting in the middle of the boat in the rooms, right? When you're new and you're going through something, get in the middle of the boat and just mm-hmm. rock with it. And like sat in the middle and I was like, I jinxed myself, I guess, because five minutes before the meeting, I get the phone call that she had gotten high on pot. And um, so we talked. I talked very openly to her and her boyfriend. And I even told her boyfriend, I was like, listen, man, if you're ever holding and you get pulled over by the cops, be honest with them. Don't do the shit I did. I told the cop, oh, those aren't my shorts, right? <laughs> <laughs> shit like that. I was like, 
the way things are going today, dude, if you tell the cop you got a, a nickel bag, dime bag, a pot, he's probably going to dump it out and send you on your way. Just be yep. honest with the with the guy if you get pulled over, man. And, and don't drive high with my kid in the car. That's all no, I that, ask. That's big. Right? That's so, big. so again, having those open and honest conversations with him. And again, this isn't a, a recovery belief by any stretch of the imagination. So take this for what it is. I had to come to the realization that, again, with the the, the recent decriminalization of marijuana, mm-hmm. like, if that's the worst thing she's doing, there could be worse things. Right. Right. And, and you know what? Maybe she's just a teenager going through teenager things like I did, right? Experimenting with different things. Um, again, there's some fear in it. I would be scared. I would be scared. There, there's some that. fear involved, but I had to come to that acceptance. She's 17. She's making big girl choices. Mm-hmm. You're going to live with big girl decisions if they come at the end of the day. You know, she'll be 18 this year. So <laughs> that's, that's crazy. But, um, you know, what's it, what's it like being an old dad? <laughs> Listen, how, how much longer do we have on here? Cause you're talking about being old, man. Come on, dude. It's funny. The last night I'm hanging out with the old guys at the, at the meeting after the meeting, it was funny, but I see, I'm actually, I, I kind of like where I'm at with, with the parenting and with the family because I'm, I'm 40. I've got an 18 year old and I've got an 11 year old. If I play my cards right, they're going to be out of the house when I'm 50, bro. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so, but no, and, and again, back to the socialization to tie all this up with a nice, pretty little bow, man. You know, I talked about balance. I think a work life, family life, recovery life, social life, all that has to have some kind of a balance. And I think uh, having some kind of a social life is important. It's not just work and meetings and home. Right. Right. So like twice a week we get together. I, I shoot darts with the neighbors. I We shoot pool sometimes or mm-hmm. um cards against humanity we'll do that instead of poker some nights different games man like it's important to have that that kind of an outlet you know so there again with socialization sometimes comes substances you know but that doesn't mean and again i've even been incorporating and, and slowly i'll be honest slowly incorporating some clean nights ron came here about a month ago mm-hmm. and we played poker him and a couple other guys in, in recovery and so i want to do those that are ag- good i want to do that again mm-hmm. um again because i do keep booze in the house and my wife may have a drink or two i don't want to invite someone with 30 60 90 days i don't no. want to trigger anybody i no. would feel horrible about that right and so um guys with multiple years clean i feel more comfortable and i even ask them i'm up front with them hey man is it going to affect you if there's booze in the house? Like, no, man. Like, there's another guy I've recently started talking to. His wife's not in the rooms, and she has a few drinks too. And it's like, he's like, no, I get it, man. They're not addicts. <laughs> they're 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 not pickles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, is there? So, stigma. You know that 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 that's big for us. You know what 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 kind of overcoming stigma and, and building a positive identity of recovery ha, have you come across have you felt i mean ha, have you felt judgment by others that know of your your past there may have been one or two um ironically enough a couple of the, the people that are coming over tonight i got high with okay like they were one of one of my buddies my best friend is is my one of my using buddies okay and um, there's still a couple other people i associate with that I either used with or hung out with when I used one of them is a coworker. He doesn't drink or smoke or nothing, but he knew about me in that time of my life. And so, um, but no, when I got clean, the ones that were still doing the do wanted nothing to do it. Like, I'm still getting high. Screw that. You know, there were a couple guys that, you know, drink or not even one guy just smokes weed and whatever. 
but he respects me enough to know that like, hey, I respect you for doing what you're doing. And like, don't ever ask me for dope because you ain't getting it from me, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I can, I, I definitely can can respect that, you know. And again, it's not for me to tell you you're an addict and what you're doing is the devil. Like, it's not for me to decide, man. You know, if it's not causing you any unmanageability, if it's not causing you any problems, you know, financially or, or maritally or legally, do do you, man? Like, it, it's not for me, man. If you're not directly affecting me, we're cool. But what about judgment from others? Like, not necessarily someone specific, but from the outside world. What, how, you know, people that look, let's just say they look down on us. You know, you guys are addicts. You're the dregs of society. You're, you're shit. And I don't, I, I can't associate myself with you. You know, instead of us saying we don't want to associate with you because you're not an addict. You know, what about that kind of stigma? So I think part of that also comes back from a lot of my childhood where I said I grew up poor, right? And so I I came to a point where I was finally like, you know, I don't care what people think, man. Like I remember I had this beat up Pontiac Sunfire, no AC, windows didn't work well and we're driving around and and my wife was embarrassed to be seen in the car. I'm like, Mm -hmm. why? Look at that motherfucker. He's walking. He wishes he had this car. I don't give a shit what he thinks about what kind of car I'm driving. I'm in a car. So what? Right. And, and so I, I think a lot of that also goes into recovery, like me saying I'm an addict. And again, I don't necessarily parade around town. Like I'm not, you know, saying, hey, I'm an addict. Look at me. I'm an NA. Da, da, da. Like <clears throat> when an opportunity presents itself, yep. I, I may open up, um, even in, in, in the realm of like social media. I'm, I'm open about it on social media. And, and I, I, again, to each their own, I'm not one of those that, display every meeting I'm at and every person I'm hanging out with on social mm-hmm. media. I just don't do that. Um, for me, that's one way I safeguard my recovery. One way I safeguard my, my relations with other people. Um, I will say there was one individual who's really near and dear to me now, but my, my wife's stepfather had made a comment when I first got clean. He's like, I've never seen anyone stay off a of Coke before. And that's just his experience. Right. But I think I've proven them wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's, um, that, that that's probably one good example of someone having that kind of a stigma, but being able to say like, hey, this program works, man, you know? How would you educate others? Listen, man, give everybody a chance, you know? Um, I was given a chance. I was given multiple chances, right? I mean, I just said yeah. that. How many times I've been arrested and how many times I've been through treatment. And, right how many felonies I've had. And I'm not a convicted felon because someone gave me a chance. And um, it was, uh, you know, so so give the next recovering person a chance. You know, the, uh, one good example I think I can, I can kind of wrap this up with was like when it comes to say road rage, I, I don't scream and curse at people who cut me off or drive fast or drive like idiots. Oh, I do. So so hear me out. So so here we go. This is this is gonna be good, David. Okay. So you cuss them out. Do they hear you? No. So what is it doing? It's helping you. I, I get it. It's how you process. Cause mm-hmm. I, I I was that guy too. So here's what I learned. Uh, it was a couple of years ago. I had to run home. I don't think it was even that long ago. It might have only been a year ago. I had to run home. And and by run home, I mean I'm doing hundred miles an hour up highway 41 and down 54 to get back to here okay because at the time it was summertime so i think it was this time last year as a matter of fact my girls are home alone during the summer and my that then 10 year old had 
stood on that white stool right there, a little spinny stool. She's in her bedroom and plopped on her forehead. She had to get like, what, five stitches inside her head? Like her whole forehead was gashed Gashed. open. So I broke several traffic laws to get home that day. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping that a cop would stop me. I'm like, no, you need to follow me. Stop this traffic. I need to get, (laughs) you know. So I don't know if that asshole, air quotes, has an emergency or not. Right. So, so what this program has taught me to do is be loving, caring, forgiving, right? Try to be like my higher power. And so I just say a quick little prayer like, oh, God, thank you for keeping me safe. I know he's really close. Thank you for, for keeping me safe. I hope he doesn't have some emergency and I hope he gets where he's going safe and doesn't affect anybody else. That is a tool I use to help combat some of that stuff. And that actually kind of segues into a question I I was thinking about asking, and it it kind of gets into, so there's a whole program for loved ones or people who have loved ones that are in recovery. But what you just said about empathizing, about caring for, about having gratitude that they're there, you know, all, that answers my question. That that kind of, in a nutshell, is is what you would suggest for loved ones, right? Yeah, to give them a chance. You, you don't, so like, I, don't know, I, had a, I had a situation, again, just a couple of weeks ago. I, I actually had to resign from a service position that I was a part of because it was causing me stress. And, and unfortunately, it was one individual, and you know who I'm talking about, and I'm not naming names. I didn't even name names during right. any of this because it's not about that it's about the situation and um i actually filed a personal grievance at our area level in regards to the situation and we've had some similar situations in our own home group and i think you know like listen man i'll let i've, I've point and counterpointed with people we've disagreed and and we don't even have to come to an agreement we can just agree to disagree but like let be nice about it and so but this one individual wanted to argue everything and like i don't like being interrupted that, again, part of that second step allowed me to find what's right and wrong for me, gave me my moral compass. And so like, listen, I can, you can disagree with me, but like, let's talk. Like that's what was taught to me in this program is open-mindedness. Right. Like I've had people I don't like change my mind because again, logic and reason and facts, that's how society should work. <laughs> and so when, when you don't let me speak, when you don't let me finish my thought, or when I raise my hand to to talk about something and you start saying, oh God, Jesus, wow, you're already discrediting what I'm about to say before I even say it. And, and that in the, in the realm of service that goes against our ninth concept, which states that all points must be carefully considered in the decision-making process. Okay. Right? So when you say, oh, wow, oh Jesus, oh Jeremy, here he comes again. You're, not, you're already not carefully considering what I'm going to say before I even say it. Mm-hmm. So that's the violation of our ninth concept. And then- when you interrupt me and you're disrespecting me, I only take that two or three times before I I lose it. And again, it's just one individual, and, and we're both in we were both on administrative committees, and I, I cannot serve with this one individual because of that. And so, I she actually threatened me. Really? She, I was like, listen, you're not going to keep disrespecting me. She, oh, you want to take this outside? I'm like, whoa. I was like, go. Really? I just sat there calling. I said, go, go outside then. And I just I sat there. Really? Mm-hmm. That's that's nuts. Right. That's nuts. So, for, and again, going back to that forgiveness piece, I, I forgive them, but I chose not to serve with that individual. So it sucks. I, I enjoyed that service position I had, mm-hmm. but for, for my serenity, for my recovery, I had to let it go. 
But again, this this whole topic of of service work keeps me clean. I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't take another service commitment. And so I talked to several in our actually that same day. I was going to go home because this mm-hmm. we, we were actually in a, in a in a meeting before our regularly scheduled meeting. We were actually reviewing guidelines. Okay. So this is this was just an, like an impromptu type meeting. And I'm like, listen, I come to serve to serve. I don't come to serve to be disrespected. You're not going to disrespect me. And so I resigned. I was going to go home. And and I I had, my foot was on the gas. And, you know, I was in the parking lot. And I, luckily, I called my sponsor and he answered and we talked. I called somebody else and we talked. And I was like, I was going to go home. And I was like, you know what? That is not fair to my wife. It's not fair to my children. Not fair to my pets. Not fair to anybody I'm going to be around today to go home feeling the way I'm feeling right now. Right. I was like, you know what? There's a meeting at 12 o'clock right around the corner. So, mm-hmm. so I went to our home group at 12 o'clock and my sponsor actually met me there and a couple okay. of others. And, and we talked about the situation and, and I made the decision that I was going to resign my position. I was going to file this grievance and that I was going to actually take on another position because service keeps me clean. So I, you know what? I'll do the activities for our home group again, like I did a couple of years ago. Oh, really? So that's probably what I'm going to end up taking on. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so so just examples of, of like our traditions talk about. You know, we're going to deal with controversy and, and strife with others. Just because we're working a, pro- a program doesn't mean we're going to alleviate all these things. But having some principles to stand on, right? This program taught me to stand for something or fall for anything. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm going through this, I'm like, dude, I know there's something in our literature that applies to what I'm going through right now. I can go out to my truck right now and under the back seat, I got a little tray, whatever that holds stuff. I've got my backpack. That's my recovery backpack. Every book, every pamphlet that I own, you know, basic text, it works on wide just for today. Everything is in that backpack. I goes it everywhere with me. And um, I had the, the 12 concepts pamphlet in there. And that's why I know the ninth concept talks about all points must be considered. And that talks, and then the 10th concept talks about the grievance process that, I, I have the right to address this body with my grievance without fear of reprisal. And so when I read those, I, I, I typed something up. I went back to area service and, and I, I typed something up for submission and I resigned my post and I filed my grievance and that was that. Okay. So kind of changing gears, what was something you found surprisingly challenged, challenging doing clean? See, I heard you ask Ron this question, and I, I, that was one that kind of stumped me a little bit. Something challenging to do clean. <laughs> I mean, a lot of things. Because again, getting clean, you know, I think I started getting high at like 15 and got clean at 24. And so it's like virtually everything I had done at that point was something new that I've not done without the use of drugs. So, okay. So I can remember wiring houses like, dude, there's no way I can do this if I, was, if I wasn't loaded, right? And then I get clean. I get back into wiring houses. I'm like, bro, I don't know how I ever did this high, right? <laughs> right? So it's it's almost everything was was kind of difficult, at least the first time I did it, right? Or the second time. But then again, we talk about that practice piece. The more I did these things without the use of drugs, the easier it got, Right. But again, just going through life on life terms, we talk about any just life situations as they arise. Those are the things that, that give me the most grief. Usually, you know, the first time I had, what was it? I think it was like 18 months clean. I bought my first truck. I had a little Ford Ranger 
And um, that was the first decision I made for myself. That was difficult. Mm -hmm. The judge didn't make the decision. The PO didn't make the decision. My sponsor didn't tell me. My wife didn't tell me. They said, you got a thousand bucks cash. You want to go buy this truck? Go buy the truck. That's that's your decision. You make it. I was like, okay. So I did. <laughs> and, and since then, we've been a two-car family. And, and obviously, it was needed at that point. You know, we had it getting ready to have a second child and all this stuff. So um, but that that one was difficult to to go through these processes. Um, like something that was for me that, you know, was surprising. So I work in the same building that I did the last time I was getting high. So I would get high in the bathrooms, all of the bathrooms. If one was, you know, occupied, I'd find another one where the stall wasn't. So now I'm going in those same bathrooms clean and, and I, I'll, I'll stand in the stall and go, wow. I mean, this, this is it 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 takes me a second to to just pee because i'm thinking that i i know what i used to do in the same stall 5 years ago and and i said in my story when i got clean i was still working for the same company i was still delivering pizza at the same place so yeah it was difficult and um ironically enough there there came a point where we were going back and doing the same thing and and cheating the books mm -hmm. And I had this realization, and ironically enough, I happened to be on like step six and seven around that time about defects and shortcomings. And um, so we were still 200, 300 bucks over every night, still pocketing the money. And I'm like, if I keep going down this path, I'm either going to get high or go to jail. I'm going to get caught. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to steal money, I might as well lie to my wife about how much money I got. If I'm doing that, I might as well, the money I'm lying about, go use with. Mm -hmm. And so- I, I again being on on that eighth step or seventh step, it talks about you know praying for God to remove these shortcomings. And um, what I can tell you is God didn't remove those shortcomings from me. But it was about that same time, shortly after I was actually removed from that situation, and I got a job back in, in the electrical field, wiring houses again. Listen, man, if you open up that first cabinet there, I've got I don't know eight hammers. But if I were to go to a job site and you left your hammer or you left your drill. And again, I got several drills. I got mm -hmm. several power tools. You leave your, your hammer on the job site. I want the hammer. I don't freaking need it. So so the shortcoming is still there. Right. Or I'm sorry, the defect is still there. But um, so I, it wasn't necessarily removed. But again, the shortcoming, the acting out on, on that defect was the, 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 the opportunity was removed. So it's just, it, it was, it was, really enlightening to like, look, wow, that was, that was crazy. Like I, I'm removed from the situation. I don't have to worry about stealing the money anymore, but like I got to the point, like, I don't need the hammer, like, you know, because I was working a program at the time. So like, it, it was one of those principles that I, I got to apply. Mm -hmm. So the, the last question, this is kind of one that, that I like is aha moments. Mm -hmm. So what was, so the, there are three types. There are the aha moments that made you realize you were an addict. The aha moment that this was it, this is my bottom. The aha moment of something in recovery, that this way of life is clicking for you. So I, I know the bottom was when your wife said she was, you know, leaving with your daughter. Aha. <laughs> exactly. What was the aha moment where you realized you were an addict while using? I don't know that there was one. Okay. Um, Again, I think for me, that aha moment that I was an addict probably came while I was in jail shortly after the aha moment 
you know, is in the back of the cop car. Uh, so it worked backwards. So when I was, when I was in, in jail and I was looking at that kiosk and I'm looking up those resources and one of the resources were Narcotics Anonymous, that was that aha moment. Okay. And I told you the very next phone call was to my wife to find me a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. So again, that seed was planted nine years prior to that when I was going to CA. The CA, Cocaine Anonymous, is actually the first meeting I ever went to. Really? And that was out of convenience. My neighbor across the street was was an addict and he went. And so it was convenient. I went, got my paper signed, never once spoke up, but the seed was still planted. So that when I saw it on that kiosk and I had hit my bottom, mm -hmm. that was that aha moment. Like, yeah, I probably have a problem. I'm tired of living like this. And what about an aha moment that this way of life is the way to do it? I think I shared that one too at Three Years Clean when everything was going good. Again, like I said, I, I would work 10 hours a day. I'd come home to my my beautiful wife and our newborn child. I was tired. I want. I was hungry. I'd want to shower. I'd want to eat. I'd want to spend time with my kids. Again, nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. We talk about becoming family men and women in the rooms. We talk about people getting their children back and, and those sort of things. So none of that is inherently wrong. But when I'm not doing anything for my recovery and I almost get high because of it, when things are great, mm -hmm. I almost got high when I didn't want to get high. I almost got high against my will, in other words. That was that last aha moment in recovery that I can, the big one anyways, is like, yeah, I, I need to recommit to staying clean one day at a time. Yeah, for me, the the aha moment in recovery was so I I do um, I, basically a headhunter, and I my last two years of of using I worked there and didn't make one what we call a placement, meaning we found one person for one job. I didn't make one. They kept me on because I was the lovable mascot. And the, I, I, I love them for that. If they didn't, I, things would have been much worse. Um, and, you know, I, I, in all honesty, wasn't getting paid. I was just literally showing up and getting high and pounding it, you know, on a keyboard for, for two years. So I got clean and got into a new industry and did well. Um, but over the past year, a uh, year and a half now, uh, I'm back at that same job and making that first placement within the first two weeks I was there. I, I knew that being clean is, is what got me there. Right. That that was my aha moment that what I'm doing, this way of life is allowing me to have this way of life. And, and that, that for me was, was, was the most, I, I know we have multiple aha moments, right? It's those aha moments that keep us going, that, that give us inspiration for the next day. Um, but that was one of the last big aha moments for me. You know, I'm, I'm grateful multiple times. I, like I said, I, I do my gratitude list in the morning. Um, and I, I am thankful for many things. Um, but it, it was it was an aha moment to realize that this way of life, the the program, the commitments, the connections that I've made, everything that has gotten me to this point has been because of this program. And I couldn't have made that successful step without the program. 
See, I think the most recent aha moment in recovery for me, and I think you shared in part of this, it was about a year and a half ago when I celebrated 13 years clean. In my time at that point, I had heard people say, I didn't feel like celebrating this year. And I was like, how do you not want to celebrate? Like, Mm -hmm. it made no sense to me. And I I think you were there. And I was like, I I didn't want to celebrate this year. I had been depressed leading up to my my anniversary time. Um, And again, nothing was really going wrong. Like, I just, I felt unappreciated. I felt unloved. Like, just that low self-esteem starting to creep back in. Mm -hmm. And then like... As a result of like, listen, my aha moment was like, I didn't want to celebrate, but I celebrated anyways because the program taught me that's what we do. Because it ain't about me today, right? The program is about when I celebrate my clean time, it's about showing up no matter what, saying I'm still clean, even though I feel like shit right now, right? Like that that was another really, really close aha moment, at least in recent history for me. And those help keep me going. Sometimes they, they help propel me for a couple of years. Right. Other aha moments for me were like going to a convention and I've only ever been to two conventions, but really I, I'm, I'm not that guy. Like, listen, I got a, I'm a married man. I don't go to the dances cause there's pretty girls there. Mm-hmm. I don't want the temptation. Like I do the picnics. Right. But like, I, I'm not an events guy. I, I, I go to the conventions occasionally and I've only been the local of conventions. I've never gone to a regional convention. I wanted to go to world when it was here, but like I'm, that's just not what I'm about, you know. It, it's not me either, but I, I kind of feel a pressure to go. I don't feel pressure because it, that that type of behavior, pressuring me to go, is no different than pressuring me to take a hit. Yeah. Right. I mean, I get peer pressure to a degree. I get it. It's something that's probably going to be good for me. Right. Right. But it's still pressure. If I don't want to go, like I'm just saying, no, and that's that. Right. And yeah. I don't, I'm be. not good in social situations, so I I also I mean. I when feel it, really revamped leaving them though. Like, okay. Really? I'm like, oh, I feel I feel recharged. I think that's the best way to, to express that's it. That's what I heard. I feel recharged, rejuvenated. It's like, okay, cool. I have a, a, a higher appreciation for, for this recovery process after leaving them. And for me, it propels me for probably five or six years until the next time I'm ready to do another convention. And it's the workshops? <laughs> the workshops, the main speakers. Um, I, I like the workshops because, again, me me coming from a background early in recovery of being in topic discussion meetings, that's what the workshops are. They're topic-oriented. Okay. So, you know, it might be, you know, parenthood in recovery or, or, or one I'd really like to see is, like, how we use social media and digital devices as a tool in recovery. Because we have a tool like that. We have our, our Facebook page that is a private page that we are able to use as a tool, mm-hmm. right? We actually are able to even upload documents onto that page. Like if we have a meeting agenda that we want to go over, or the most recent thing we were talking about now is like t-shirt designs, I can create a couple t-shirt designs, upload them to that to our Facebook site. And vote. Right. So so there's tools we can use that, again, we're, we're, we're respecting others' anonymity because it's a private page. Right. So that, that, that I don't think a lot of people, I know a lot of people are utilizing them. I don't know if they're utilizing these tools properly okay. or even again, with the inception of, I don't even want to call it the inception with the, the rise in popularity of online meetings, same thing. We have one of those accounts. And so how are we using these as tools? To, what's our primary purpose to carry the message to the still sick and suffering addict. So, so th- th- those are some of the different examples of workshops, but those, those things help propel me. And and give me more food for thought. Give me more of a boost that, you know what, I'm doing all right today. Something that, that keeps you going in recovery. Mm-hmm. All right, man. I, I, I can't thank you enough for being here today and, and, and sharing what you have. 
Uh, it means so much to me uh, to have you share from the heart. Again, thank you. I love you, man. I love you, and I thank you too, David. And to those listening, much love.